Well, good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that our spiritual growth is not just for our own benefit. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread that love to one more person. As Chad said, we do have the uh, family barbecue with Gethsemane this afternoon, 1230. Uh, hope, hope you can be there. And it serves two purposes for us. One is that it lets us get to know others in our church family, but two, and this is the reason we do it with Gethsemane, it lets us get to know people in their church family too. So remember to, to when you come to, to kind of check both of those boxes. That would be, that would be a good thing. The, the other important uh, thing, Chad, let you know about the elder search vote, there's a second vote coming up this summer, uh, and it, it pertains to a little piece of land. And so... Um, I sent out a note about this at the early part of April. If you did not get the electronic note from me, it's because we do not have your email address. So we'd love for you to get these things. Uh, so give us your email address on a prayer card and you'll get the subsequent notes. But here's sort of the quick summary. Um, our church family is in a due diligence period for a piece of property on South Main Street in Davidson. So where this is, is if you, um, if you know like where Wits is, Maybe you give a lot of money to them. You, uh, you go down a little bit, there's, a, there's like a doctor's office, the Fondino's chiropractic practices in there. And then it's the next piece of land. It's the old Davidson Clinic site, if you've lived in Davidson a long time. Uh, it's that one. And so we're in a due diligence period on that uh, piece of property. Uh, we have not been overly fast to rush into a permanent spot. Uh, at the same time, we know that's a jump you have to make at some point. The other thing is we've always wanted to stay within walking distance of the college. That's why we started at Davidson Elementary School and added the 815 service at the Quaker House was to stay within walking distance of the college. So we think this piece of property does a lot of, accomplishes a lot of things we would like to see accomplished through a more permanent spot for us, but we're in a due diligence period, which could be long, in which we need to accomplish four things, at least four. Let's see if I can remember these. I have a two-week-old at home. Um, we need to make sure that the site can do what we need it to do uh, as far as uh, what we need and what the town would require. We need to, uh, we actually need to get the parcel rezoned because there's a 2015 ordinance about how close houses of worship can be to each other. Uh, the third thing is we need to ask the congregation uh, to give or pledge to give the money to purchase the land. We'd probably do that in the fall. And then the fourth, and this is why I bring this up, is the congregation, the ministry partners need to vote yes or no on purchasing the land. By our bylaws, our, our uh, denominational constitution, it's the ministry partners of the church, not like the pastors, who vote yes or no on buying and selling land. So I tell you all that to tell you, you're going to hear more about this. Uh, the vote is not until May, uh, June, June 9th. And, and so in May, we're going to have a lot of opportunities for you to come, learn more, ask questions, share excitement, share concerns, all that. We want to hear all of it. We really do. 
And so our first opportunity at this is going to be on May 12th. After each of the services, we're going to have a quick Q&A. That's Mother's Day, so it's going to be quick. I know you got to get to Chili's for your reservation. So, so it's just going to be quick. Quick Q&A, quick information, quick Q&A, get you, get you out. We'll have some longer times to sit down. If you'd like to sit down and talk longer, we'll have those on weekdays uh, where we won't be as pressed for time. But so the big idea in all this is, uh, we're just asking everybody at this point, one, we want you to kind of know that this is floating out there, but two, we want to ask you to join us in prayer that God will make this clear to us, that if this is something we're supposed to pursue, that he'll continue to be clear about that. If this is something that we don't need to be pursuing, that he would make that clear to us, uh, that God would just lead us through all this, and if it is what God wants for us, that we'd be able to clear these, these hurdles, uh, and they would only be hurdles. So, that's kind of where we are, just trying to make sure folks are in the know at this point. And I'm excited, but I also know I need to show my work uh, uh, for how we've kind of arrived at this uh, potential conclusion. So there it is. More to come. But we won't talk about this every week, but, but we will talk about it as we get closer to the vote. Does this make sense? There it is. There it is. Okay, I'll do a sermon now. So when I was in uh, seminary, I went to seminary in Nashville. When I was in seminary, I interned with a ministry called Room in the Inn. Room in the Inn was initially a ministry to people who lived on the streets of Nashville. It's now become a ministry in 35 American cities, including Charlotte. Actually, I served as a Davidson student with Room in the Inn here in Charlotte, some of us in the congregation. We don't have a building, see previous uh, discussion. Uh, but we serve with other congregations who do. So like Davidson College Presbyterian or Lake Forest Huntersville, we serve with people who do room in the inn. The idea is a church uh, houses people who live on the streets during the coldest nights of winter. That's the big idea. So what I was really excited about as a, as a you know, young, eager seminary student was I was going to get to work with the founder of this organization, a guy named Charlie Strobel. And in my mind, I kind of have this picture of who starts a ministry that expands to 35 U.S. cities. I've kind of got the picture. And then in walks Charlie. And uh, that's Charlie. <laughs> Wearing a hoodie I think he found on the sale rack at Goodwill. That's pretty much Charlie. So I had my pen and paper ready. I'm going to take notes. How do you start a ministry that expands to 35 U.S. cities? And Charlie goes, well, <laughs> kind of an accident. And he went on and told this long, rambly story about being a young Catholic priest and giving somebody a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and that started a soup kitchen, and then they, people would sleep in their cars in the parking lot, and he didn't want them to freeze to death, so he invited them to come stay in the church, and then some other churches asked to help, and then churches in other cities asked what they were doing, and isn't it great that you have church buildings that are heated and cooled all year long, and you can use them to house people, and best of all, it forms relationships between the folks who live on the streets and those who don't, and he just went, it's this long, rambly story. And that's pretty much what the next three years were. Long, rambly stories, at least on the weeks he remembered we were meeting. I remember our most pointed conversation, and it began this way. He said to me, you want to know my major problem with Protestants? He's a Catholic by conviction. He said, you want to know my major problem with Protestants? I thought he was still upset about that Martin Luther thing, you know. Here's what he said. 
He said, sometimes you get so focused on how much you love Jesus that you forget to follow him. Sometimes you get so focused on how much you love Jesus that you forget to follow him. Hmm. Interesting. So I responded by saying, well, you know what my problem with you Catholics is? No, I didn't actually say that. I didn't. I was smart enough to know not to follow up with that. His comment made me think, though. It's an interesting comment. It made me think about my own life. Maybe it makes you think about your own life as well. What does it mean to be a Christian? Ultimately, and this was a good thing, it forced me back to the Bible. And as I look back at the Bible, I noticed a few things. See if you spot the overarching theme of these scriptures. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says this, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Mark 2, 14 says, As he, Jesus, walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 Then he, Jesus, said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Matthew, or Luke chapter 9, verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. John chapter 1, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Are we clear? (laughs) Crystal. There are four accounts in the Bible of the life of Jesus. They're called the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're told from four different perspectives. Imagine if you and three friends told the same story, right? You'd be telling the same story, but you'd tell it out of your own language and your own biases and your own, you know, you get what I'm saying. And you'd remember certain things and think they were important, and I'd remember certain things and think they were important. That's kind of how the Bible is. These four Gospels work this way. Because they're told from four different perspectives, there are very few things found in all four Gospels. And so when something is found in all four Gospels, it like takes it up even another notch. That this was critical to how the early Christians understood Jesus. What's interesting is, in all four Gospels, there is an instance of someone looking into the deep and compassionate eyes of Jesus, and Jesus saying to that person, follow me. So yes, we're called to love Jesus. Yes, we're called to worship Jesus. But the invitation is, follow Jesus. Follow me, even when you don't quite see where he's going to take you. And so what we want to do through May and part of June is we want to explore the life of Jesus and specifically explore what does it mean to follow me, to follow Jesus. Today we want to begin by looking at maybe the earliest recorded of the follow me statements um, from Matthew chapter 4. This is what Katie read for us earlier. Matthew chapter 4. We're early in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has just begun to preach. He's preaching that God is not distant. The kingdom of God is not distant. In fact, God has come near. God wants to be near to each of us. So verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Don't really need to explain that verse. 
Pretty self-explanatory. This is the Simon called Peter who would go on to be the leader of the early church. But at this point, he's not that. He's just a dude throwing a net in a lake. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, this seems kind of sudden. It makes you wonder if there's not a backstory. And in fact, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, it does give you a little bit of the backstory. There is a little backstory. But Matthew just wants to get to the point. And the point is that as Peter and Andrew looked into the deep and compassionate eyes of Jesus and they heard that invitation, follow me, they left their nets and followed Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. The older translations would say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men or or fishers of people or I'm from Memphis, fishers of folks. It's all the same sort of concept. It's a simple invitation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people, fishers of folks. I'll send you out to fish for people, whatever your translation says. It's a simple invitation that bears a little bit of unpacking. And that's what we're going to do today to make sure we kind of understand all of what's in this command. Follow me, this invitation. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So here we go. Follow me is number one, number one, number, 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 number one. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship. The brothers, Peter and Andrew, left their nets and followed Jesus. So what happened next? I don't know, lunch? Dinner? conversation, a walk, an object lesson, whatever happened next, Peter and Andrew and Jesus did it together. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's not, like, he's not saying like, I'll be up here and you stay back a respectful distance and if you need anything, just holler. That's not what he means. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, we're going to walk together. We're going to live our lives together. On the good days and on the bad days, we will be together. On the sunny days and on the rainy days, we will be together. When you are excited and filled with joy about following me, and on the days you wish I would just leave you alone, we're going to be together. Follow me. God, the creator of, the, of all everything, wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want you to live apart from him. God doesn't want you to be disconnected from him. God doesn't want you to be terrified that he hates you. God is actively seeking out a relationship with you, so much so that he came to earth as Jesus Christ. God came to earth to invite you into an eternal relationship, and here's how he did that. He said, follow me. So follow me as an invitation to a relationship. And then number two, number two, number, 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 number two, follow me as an invitation to a different way of life. It's an invitation to a relationship and it's an invitation to a different way of life. Jesus invites us into a relationship, an eternal relationship, and it's a transformative relationship. It's a relationship that refines us and makes us new and makes us better and makes us more like the people God always intended for us to be. The power of Jesus' invitation, follow me, is found in both of these together. 
if it's just a relationship, but it doesn't really transform me, it doesn't really call me into a different way of life, that falls a little flat. Because how can I have a living, vibrant relationship with the, the one who spoke existence into being? How can I have a vibrant relationship with that, that God and it not change me? Right? Meaningful relationships change us. And how even more so that would be true with God. But if it's just an invitation to a different way of life but there's no relationship, like that's self-help. Right? And a new self-help book comes out every day. And some of it is helpful and ironically some of it is not. Self-help that is not helpful. But my point is, Jesus is not offering self-help. Jesus is not the spiritual version of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus is not handing you the map to the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. And he is the treasure that transforms. So Jesus says, follow me. He says it to you. He says it to me. He says it to all of us. Follow me. Let's walk together all the days of your life. So you can learn from me, so you can watch how I do it. I'm going to show you a new way to live. I'm going to show you a better way to live. And at times it will be harder than you ever imagined. And at times your heart will feel so full of joy that you think it's about to burst. But in all of that, you will never be alone. So come and learn from the master teacher who loves you more than you can even comprehend. Follow me. Follow me is, again, an invitation to a relationship, and it is an invitation to a different way of life, and they are both important. Both important. So that's the first part. What about the second part? The second part says, I will send you out to fish for folks. What do we get out of that? Well, I will send you out to fish for people or fish for folks if you're colloquial like me. I went to Davidson, so I learned the word colloquial. I just was it, and then I learned the word. I will send you out to fish for people is an affirmation that God has knit gifts and skills and passions into each of us. God has knit gifts and skills and passions into each of us. Because what were Peter and Andrew? They were fishermen. That's what they knew how to do. They were fishermen. And it takes a certain amount of skill to be a fisherman. I don't have that skill, it turns out. I lived for a time with a, a refugee from Liberia. Liberia is a, a coastal country. And he and I went fishing one time. And I, I'm not making this up. We are looking at the same lake. And he says to me, we got company. I don't know what he's talking about. And no sooner had he said that than the bobber went under the water. <laughs> in my illustrious fishing career in, in the creeks of northern Mississippi with my grandparents, I have caught five fish and a shoe. Uh, my, one of the fish was so small we didn't know we had caught it until we reeled back in, thinking the day was over. This is what, uh, but my grandfather, I come by it honestly, my grandfather once caught a snake. So that's another story for another day. Don't recommend that. But Peter and Andrew are not as bad as me. They are actually good fishermen. They have the skills, the passion. They have what it takes to be a good fisherman. 
The point being that deep inside of Andrew, deep inside of Peter, deep inside of you, deep inside of me, God has given us gifts. God has given us passions. God has given us skills. And they come out in the work that we do. They come out in what we care about. They come out in what we study. They come out in the ways that we live. But if we're not careful, we're going to use those skills and gifts and passions only for ourselves. If we're not careful, we will use those skills and gifts and passions to only accomplish and achieve our dreams. And so Jesus says, come, follow me, and I'm going to take those skills and those gifts and those passions that I put in you, but I'm going to use them for a greater purpose. I'm going to use them for a good purpose. I'm going to use them for a holy purpose. It will be like salvaging art from a shipwreck. And what is that purpose? People. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Other people. So I will send you out to fish for people is an indication that Jesus will give us a new and better purpose. And that new and better purpose is to use our God-given gifts to help others. Because up until they, Peter and Andrew had met Jesus, what did they do? They fished for fish. That's pretty reasonable. It's a good use of their skills, their gifts, their passions. They had fished for fish. They had had food to eat, provided for their family. That's a good thing. And then in comes Jesus. And Jesus doesn't tell them that they can no longer fish for fish. Right? In fact, he's probably going to need them to fish for fish. Right? They don't have the Taco Bell back then. So he's still going to need them to fish for fish. At the 815, a kid, when I said the Taco Bell, he said, ooh. <laughs> and I immediately reported that family to DSS. <laughs> that child is not in a good living situation. That's what he thinks. I wasn't going to tell you that, but I, I've not slept a lot. So, it... so all that to say. He still needs them to fish for fish, right? The the whole point of follow me is not that you cannot use your skills, your gifts, or passions to do things that in some way help you, help you provide for your family or something like that. No, he didn't tell them they couldn't fish for fish, but he said, I'm going to take those gifts to a new and higher best purpose. I'm going to have you use your God-given gifts, your God-given skills to a highest and best use, which is people. Other people. You're going to use your gifts, your passions, your skills to love people, to serve people, to help people, to point people to the giver of all hope, to point people to the creator of the world, to point people to the redeemer of all creation. So Matthew chapter 4, in a lot of ways, you could think of as sort of the beginning of the Jesus movement. It's the moment that people started to come together to follow Jesus. So what's the purpose, what's the point of coming together to follow Jesus? What's the purpose, for instance, then, of a church or the church? According to Jesus, it is people. It's not projects. It's not programs. It's people. It's not statistics. It's stories. 
so that even as our church family continues to grow, even as we think about possibilities of a permanent spot and all that kind of stuff, what won't change, what can't change, is the purpose for which God has called us together, which is people, caring deeply about other people. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And how does they respond? At once they left their nets and followed him. So come follow me and I will make you fishers of people, fishers of folks, fishers of men. I will send you out to fish for people. It is an invitation to a relationship. It is an invitation to a different way of life. It is an indication that God has put skills and gifts and passions into you but it is also an indication that he is going to put those to a new highest and best use, which is serving, loving, helping, pointing other people towards the giver of all good things, towards the hope that is found in Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And you and I have to decide if we are going to hold on to the purpose that we have for our lives. We have to decide if we're going to hold on to our definition of purpose, if we're going to hold on to the definition of purpose that our family gave us, or the definition of purpose that our teachers gave us, or the definition of purpose that our neighbor gave us, or the definition of purpose that uh, Davidson gives us. We have to decide if we're going to hold on to the image of our life that we've always wanted. Or if like Andrew and Peter did with their nets, if we're going to let it go. If we're going to let it go and trust the purpose that Jesus has for our lives. Now, I will be the first to tell you, I don't always know the purpose that Jesus has for your life or for my life. I don't always know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't think Peter and Andrew knew exactly what was coming. In fact, I'm sure they had no idea. They probably wouldn't have believed Jesus if he had told them. They might have actually gotten scared away. It boils down to a matter of trust. Who do I trust? Who do you trust? Do we fundamentally trust ourselves? Do we fundamentally trust our family? Do we fundamentally trust our school, or do we trust Jesus? Do I trust my vision for my life, or do I trust Jesus' vision for my life? Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So here's the question I'd like to ask you to reflect on as I sort of wrap up Uh, my sermon today. The question is, how could or how does, how could following Jesus impact and shape your life? Or how does following Jesus impact and shape your life? If you're somebody who's just exploring the Christian faith, you're just here exploring Jesus, I think you've heard his invitation loud and clear. In case you missed it, somehow, the invitation is, follow me. What will you and I do with that invitation to follow Jesus? 
Who do we trust fundamentally? Now, if you've been a Christian, uh, maybe for a while or just for a little bit of time, the invitation is still the same. The invitation is still, follow me. And it is a really good and useful exercise to look back at your life since you have followed Christ and to see the ways that He has changed you. The way that maybe He's changed your character or changed your trajectory, changed your outlook, changed your perspective, changed your actions, changed your mind or your heart. That's not to say that you're finished yet. You're not finished. I'm not finished. None of us think we're a finished product, right? We still got a long way to go. At the same time, it's really good to look back sometimes and to see the work Jesus has done, to see the difference that following Jesus has made. As I sort of did this exercise a bit this week, uh, you know, reflecting on it, I don't know that I would have picked this life for myself. Like, there are parts of my life that I, like, if you'd left it up to me, I'm not sure I would have picked it for myself. We had a Welcome 101 class uh, uh, a few weeks back, and a lot of the stories in that Welcome 101 class were the the ways that, that difficult circumstances became a turning point for people's lives. I just tell you, I've never met anybody who wished they would have a difficult circumstance in life. Never. I'm sure there are people out there, but, but I've never met them. Or if they have, they just haven't told me that this about themselves. I guess my point in all this is to say, I, I would hope, I, I would pray, I would think that at, at, at the end of a life following Jesus, we might look back and go, how did I ever get here? Did I ever think this is where, why, why, how did I ever start doing this? But not like in a bad way, like in a good way. I was having lunch with somebody the other week, and um, what she said to me really stuck with me. She said, the life I live is almost the opposite life of what I thought I wanted. But it's where Jesus has taken me, and it's far better than anything I imagined for myself. And so I guess my point in all this is to say, Jesus doesn't always tell you exactly where he's going to take you when you follow him, because it might scare you away if he actually told you. Or you wouldn't believe him. I don't think Peter and Andrew would have believed him. But Jesus' plans and purposes for your life are far more beautiful, far less tame, far wilder, and ultimately far more redemptive than you could have ever imagined for yourself. So let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk with God or to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take this quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, many years ago, you came across two people throwing nets in a lake. And you changed their lives with an invitation, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed you. So Lord, I pray for those of us who are in a similar circumstance today. We are holding on to the life that we know. But we are also aware that you are calling us to something else. You are calling us to follow you. To let go of whatever our net is, whatever we're holding on to. So that we might live in relationship with you and be transformed through that relationship. So Lord, for those of us who do desire to release our nets, to let go of life as we imagined it so that we can follow you, I pray that we will. Even with a simple prayer that says, Lord, I want to be like Peter and Andrew, to let go of this life that I desire, to follow you into what you have for me. Lord, some of us have made decisions like that in the past. I pray we find joy in looking at how it has truly transformed us. Even in the hard days. Even when we feel like we want to give up. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.